But as we uh, come to this last week in Philemon, let me just um, try and summarize some of the things we've been talking about. Um, And the big thing, and I hope you've got this, the big thing is that gospel love really changes everything. And the story, and we're going to read the whole thing in a minute just to kind of refresh our minds. The story of Philemon is this story of Philemon welcoming back his runaway slave Onesimus. And I've said over and over again, and it's really important for us to understand this, Philemon is not being asked to do something that is nice. He's being asked to do something that's impossible. And and until we feel the weight of it, it's not like, oh, come on, this is going to be really hard, but all right. No, what Paul is asking Philemon to do is utterly impossible because he's asking him to show gospel love. That is the sort of love that God shows to us. I am a rebel against God. I have not run away in the sense of being a slave, but I have run away from God in many, many ways and many decisions I make. I'm a runaway. And this is the love that God has shown me. He made this decision to send his one and only precious darling son to come and find runaways like us. That's gospel love. Not because there was something attractive that he went, oh, that John T, he's really lovely. Shame he's messed up, but he's quite cute. Tell you what, I'll go and rescue him. That's not gospel love. Gospel love is that John T is a runaway who deserves punishment for eternity. And yet I will choose to love him. That's what makes gospel love so extraordinary. Human love loves what is lovable. Gospel loves loves what is unlovable and makes it beautiful. And it's really important for us to keep hearing that, that this is what gospel love is. And if you have never experienced what it means to be loved by God, then that is where it starts. If you're here this afternoon, it may be that God has brought you to the Globe Church this afternoon because he wants you to know that he loves you. And he loves you not in some kind of, oh, he loves you, but in a way that says, I love you so much that I would give my son to die for you, to make you, to save you, to, to bring you back from being the runaway. That's why Jesus had to go to a cross and die so that he could stretch out his arms to welcome you, the runaway home. And that's where it starts. We've seen this in Philemon. It starts with experiencing God's gospel love towards us. But as we experience that, what happens then, and this is what Philemon is being asked to do. Philemon, if you have received gospel love, you now need to show gospel love. We've had this phrase that we've used loads. And uh, if the kids have got a sheet, there are some sheets around. Um, I put this at the top of your uh, sheet. Gospel love pushes us further. It will push you to love people that you would never naturally love. If you only love nice people, that's not gospel love. Gospel love loves unlovely people. 
And it will push you. It will push you further. It will push you to love in a way which you've never experienced before. That's gospel love. It will push you further. But here's the exciting thing in Philemon. As it pushes you further, it takes you deeper in your understanding of what it means to be loved by God. So that's what we said. Just have a look. I'm just trying to recap at the moment, but have a look at verse 6. That's what this key verse, verse 6, is referring to. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, that is, as you show gospel love to Onesimus, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. As you are pushed further in gospel love, you are taken deeper into your understanding of God's love. So if you want to know Christ better, you have to be willing to show gospel love to the unlovely. That's how it works. Gospel love pushes you further and takes you deeper than you've ever been before. That's what Philemon shows. So let me read the story. Because I want, I want us to get this. I want to see again Paul appealing on the basis of love. This, if you've been here for the last few weeks, this should be familiar to you now. I hope you feel like, oh, I sort of know this now. That's good. If you're sitting there going, I know this, that's exciting. Be encouraged, you've learned something. If you've been here for eight weeks and you still don't know what it's about, then it's a shame. (laughs) The sermon's on the website, try again. (laughs) Let me read it to you. And we're going to then focus on the last last three verses um, uh, this afternoon. But let me read the whole story. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him. There it is. There's the key appeal. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me. 
because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here's the whole story. There it is, the whole story of Philemon and Onesimus. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verses 23 and 24, which at first sight, I recognize, looks like a list of names. And, and it might be tempting for us to go, well, that's just a list of names. Come on. Now, actually, nothing in the Bible is there for, by accident. Nothing in the Bible is random. Paul writes this list of names because they are significant. There is something important about these people he mentions. In fact, I'm going to try and show you that each of these people represent and show us something about gospel love and what it looks like in practice. We all know, don't you, if you want to learn to do something, you can read a book about it or you can watch someone. So I was uh, surfing. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time I say that. If, if you could see it, you would laugh too. So I was, I was surfing a couple of weeks ago in North Devon. And I've never had a surfing lesson in my life. You'd be, it's extraordinary how advanced I am, having never been taught. Uh, I've never read a book about it. But I have watched. And I pick out, when I go to the beach, I pick out the people who I think are worth watching. You know, they tend to be quite a long way away, <laughs> out the back. You know, the people in the shallows don't watch them. You look at the people at the back, and I watch them, and I, and, and I learn, I see how they stand, and I, they're worth watching. I, I also watch the people who are rubbish, because uh, they make me feel better. And I watch them, and I say, well, they're too near the, fr- too, too near the front of the board. Look, you see, they've, gone too near the, they've got their weight all wrong. I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, but it makes me feel really good because I'm watching. I want to encourage you to be someone who watches people. Watch people. I think that's why Paul includes these. These are people you need to be watching, Philemon. Watch these people. Watch them. And I want to challenge you. Are you watching people as a Christian? Are there people that you're watching? People who you're trying to learn from, trying to understand are you someone worth watching? Are you someone that other people look at? Well, you are someone other people are looking at. As people watch you, what do they see? So I want to take these, um, these names. There are five names, but we're going to group Aristarchus and Luke together. I'll explain why later. We're going to take these four, Epaphras, uh, Mark, uh, Demas, and Aristarchus and Luke, okay? And it's going to be a lot of fun along the way. Let's start with Epaphras. I've got one word for each of them that represents, uh, kind of sums up, sums up what they're like. And we're going to have to dart around a little bit. I'll show you some links in the Bible to other places. It's quite fun, this. Um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So immediately we're told, here's Epaphras. He's in prison with Paul. So he's pretty close to Paul. And he's in prison because of Christ. But there's more that we need to see about Epaphras. So keep a finger in Philemon, and you might as well uh, get, get some bits of paper in, because we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4 a couple of times. Um, could you find Colossians chapter 4? So it's on page 1185. It's just not many pages back. And these two letters, Colossians and Philemon, go together. They were sent at the same time. Um, they were sent together together. 
Philemon was in the church in Colossae. So it makes sense that these two letters um, overlap. Um, have a look at Colossians 4, uh, verse 12. What does it mean? Come on, let's try and be practical. We've talked lots about gospel love. What does it actually mean to show gospel love? Here's Epaphras. Watch him. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's from, you know, you know him, he's one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Did you hear that? Epaphras, here's the word. It's not difficult. He's a wrestler. That's what it means to show gospel love. It means to be a wrestler. He is praying like a wrestler. Now, I don't actually think... See, I, for many years, I loved this because I just imagined this man rolling around on the floor. Kind of, bang! I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is the amount of intensity and seriousness and effort with which he is putting into praying for these guys in Colossae is equivalent to a wrestler in a wrestling match. We learn in Colossians 1 that it was actually through Epaphras that the church actually got going. So it's like they're his babies. They're the ones who he told the gospel to. And he prays for them. So look, let's, this, is, this is really practical, right? You want to show gospel love, you pray for others. You pray for them. And I wonder if someone looked at our prayer lives, looked at the way that we pray, would they figure that we love people or not? That's, that's the mark here of Epaphras. Watch him. He shows gospel love in the way he prays. Uh, let, let me, um, just very quickly, I, I, I hope this doesn't freak you out. Um, I just want to say four things about praying um, from, from what we learn about wrestling, okay? So these are four things under my first point. Uh, but I'll do them quickly. Perhaps the reason that we don't wrestle in prayer is we pray too carelessly. We're not very aware of the danger. So imagine I'm walking along the riverbank with my family, and, um, and I see a tiny little fly. And I say to uh, my family, oh, watch out, guys, there's a little fly there. Just be careful. And we all walk on. Now imagine that out of the river climbs this crocodile coming straight for my family. You see, at that point, I leap into action and I wrestle the crocodile and I grab the crocodile and say to my family, run for your lives. Don't worry about me. Save yourselves. And I wrestle the crocodile to the ground. You see, the amount of danger with which I think my family are in is shown by the intensity in which I warn a little fly. Just be careful of the fly. If If I don't see there is a great danger there is an enemy who wants to destroy us, right? His name is the devil, and he wants to harm. He wants to do harm. Now, if I simply think, well, we're basically okay. Heavenly Father, please would you help me have a nice day today? Blah, blah, blah. We don't see the danger. 
And therefore, we don't pray with this sort of intensity. We pray too carelessly. Epaphras knew the danger they were in. There's a really beautiful example of this, actually. Um, You see this in in the life of Jesus. Um, Don't read too much about turning to it, but in in Luke's gospel, um, on on the night when Jesus is going to go to the cross um, and die, um, Jesus says to uh, Simon, Peter, he says, um, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Right? He says, Simon, Satan is coming for you. The crocodile is crawling out of the river and has his gaze fixed on Simon, on Peter, and his mouth open and he's going to destroy him. Listen to what Jesus says. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus prayed for Peter. Why did Peter not end up in a place of hell and punishment? Why did Satan not get his teeth into Peter? Because Jesus prayed for him. It's the only reason. Jesus knew the danger, so he wrestled in prayer for Peter. If only I could see the danger that is all around, the danger that lurks, I would pray passionately and plead with God. That was Epaphras. We pray too carelessly because we don't see the danger. So we need to understand there is a battle going on. There's a war. It's hard. And therefore we wrestle in prayer. And perhaps we give up too easily. We don't keep going. We're not persistent. We might pray once, but then we go. To be honest, I'm just telling you my own heart. I'm telling you my struggles. I was given an acorn this morning. It's been a long time since I was given an acorn. I preached at another church, and this little boy was standing outside. He could only be about four, and he said, would you like an acorn? He said, you can plant it in your garden. And I said to him, that's really kind of you. I don't have a garden. But he didn't give up. He said, well, why don't you take it, and when you buy a house that has a garden, you can plant it then. (laughs) I took the acorn. He was persistent. He was not going to give up. I was not going to leave that church without an acorn. If only we'd have a bit more of that with God. Lord, please, please, would you do this? And we pray intensely, and we keep going, and we keep praying. But I've prayed for my brother for years and years, and he's not a Christian. I've prayed for him. Keep going. You keep praying. You keep wrestling. You keep asking. Don't give up. Don't give up. And perhaps we... Ask too vaguely. Rather than praying specific things, we pray, oh Lord, please bless everyone at Globe Church and all the other Christians in the world. Might they have a nice day today. God has given us piles of stuff that we can pray for each other. Let's pray specifically. Here's a starter. Take the Ten Commandments, right? Take the Ten Commandments. There's ten of them. Seven days in the week. That's a shame. But never mind. Take the Ten Commandments and pray them for people. There's a specific thing. Heavenly Father, please would you help Bobby to not have any other gods before you this week. That's good. That's great praying. Or take the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pray. Yeah, please would you help Bobby to be patient today. And then he texts him, Bobby, I'm praying you'll be patient today. That there's a serious, an intensity, not a vague, please bless. But God's given us stuff to pray. Whenever you come across a list of things, use that to pray for people. I need to speed up. Um, the fourth thing is we, we can aim too lowly. <laughs> we, just, we can just aim too low. Epaphras was praying that they would stand firm in all the will of God. That's a big prayer. Let's have big ambitions in the way that we pray for each other. So if we're going to be gospel, if we're going to show gospel love, Epaphras, te- and Epaphras is the longest, by the way, don't worry. If we're going to show gospel love, Epaphras teaches us that we will be people who pray, and we pray, and we pray, wrestle. And perhaps God's asking you to start that this week. This isn't, this isn't to beat you up and say, you're so rubbish. This is to say, why not start today? Why not start by writing down a list of five people from Globe Church who you're going to pray for? Maybe your focus group if you're coming on a Wednesday. Begin. So that's Epaphras. Right, let's, let's move to Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark um, we're going to go much quicker now, okay? Mark um, is very interesting. Um, why are you supposed to watch Mark? Well, because Mark is an example of a gospel love receiver. Epaphras was, was, a, was a wrestler. Mark is a receiver. Um, come, I'm sorry to make you jump around a little bit, but it's good and it keeps you awake. Acts 15... Acts 15, I really hope that you're going to grow to love Mark in the next two minutes, all right? Um, Acts 15, page 1111, and uh, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Right, Mark had hurt Paul, had deserted Paul. Mark had failed. And it had caused Paul great anguish and pain. So much so that he ended up breaking this wonderful friendship with Barnabas. This, was a, this must have been one of the most painful moments in Paul's life. I don't think many other moments that we read of in the Bible are more painful for Paul than this. This incident when Mark deserted him and then Barnabas had a big disagreement about it. But it's interesting, isn't it, in Philemon? Because Mark's with Paul. Mark's one of his fellow workers. Mark is back. And if you come to Colossians 4 again, um, come to Colossians 4 again. I want you to see this. I think that Mark is Paul's Onesimus, if that makes sense. As As he says to Philemon, you welcome Onesimus. I think that Mark is Paul's example of that. 
So look what Paul says in chapter, uh, Colossians 4, verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus, we'll get to him, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Listen to this. This is very important. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, you may have heard a bad report about Mark. You may have heard that he blew it. You may have heard that he failed you. No, no, he's restored. And therefore, if he comes to you, you welcome him. What was the big command for Philemon and Esmus? Welcome him. You welcome this failed brother back. Welcome him back. And in 2 Timothy, which is probably the last letter that Paul ever wrote, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read this. Um, in verse, verse 11, at the top of the page, on page 1197, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. The one who was useful has beco- useless has become useful. This is the Onesimus story. And so Paul says, Mark, remember Mark, because Mark is going to teach you that no one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond being back and restored. I don't know if you're a Mr. Darcy fan, uh, Pride and Prejudice. This is my vague attempt to connect with a different group from my natural <laughs> grouping. Pride and Prejudice and all that. Beautiful, lovely story. Mr. Darcy, what a hero. Listen to what he said. Mr. Darcy famously said, my good opinion once lost is lost forever. My good opinion once lost is lost forever. Turns out it's not actually quite true because Elizabeth Bennett seems to do all right. But anyway. Oh, yeah, sorry if if you've never seen it. Uh, Mr. Darcy, my good opinion once lost is lost forever. That is an anti-gospel statement. Mr. Darcy is anti-gospel. <laughs> oh, that felt a bit harsh. <laughs> but I think too often we can be like that. Sometimes someone does something against us and we, our good opinion of them is changed. Our good opinion of them is lost. Is it lost forever? Do you hold grudges that are never redeemable? Do you see Mark? Watch Mark. See Mark. Mark stands as the one who blew it and Paul restored him and forgave him. That's gospel love. And we need to fight to be a church who are quick to restore and quick to forgive. Who are quick to say that past failure does not mean present uselessness. Past failure can be turned around to glorious gospel success. So that's Mark. And maybe there are people this afternoon who we're thinking, I've got, maybe some of us feel useless because of things in the past, failures in the past. Watch Mark, will you? You can be restored. Absolutely, you can be restored by Jesus. And let's be quick to restore others. Okay, let's look at Demas. I don't want to spend too long on Demas because Demas is the negative one to look at. Demas is the surfer you watch so you know not what not what not to do. You see, here's Demas. He is one of Paul's fellow workers. Right, go back to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. It's just a couple of pages back, 1197. 
just trying to show you these letters linked together. They're not random. They're kind of linked. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You see, Demas, he was a fellow worker of Paul, right? He was going around preaching the gospel. He was going around telling people about Jesus, but his heart was never truly gripped by gospel love. It was gripped actually by a love for the world. And this had a greater affection, a greater grip on his heart than Jesus had. And yeah, there was a period of time when he could carry it off. There was a period of time when he appeared to all the world like he was faithful. But you can't pull it off forever. And there will come a day when actually the choice has to be made. And Demas loved the world. Watch him. Watch Demas. And take a look at your own heart as I take a look into my heart and I say, are there things in this world which hold a greater affection for me than Jesus? Philemon was a rejecter. He rejected gospel love. He walked away. And I think one of the tragedies of doing gospel ministry is saying that that is still true today. There are those who walk, appear to walk faithfully with Jesus, but actually their hearts are gripped by another love. This was true of Judas. You, you remember Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. He walked for three years with Jesus, but his heart loved money, not Jesus. And if we love money or power or sex or career or family or whatever it is, if something has a greater hold on our hearts than Jesus then we will be a Demas. And I plead with you. I, I, I plead with myself. When you begin to see a Demas heart, turn back. Gospel love, turn to gospel love. And let's finish with Aristarchus and Luke. And Aristarchus and Luke, so I, I want to describe as Remainers. Not any, no... <laughs> No, no, stop. That's not the point. No political points being made. They were remainers. They remained with Paul. I haven't got time to trace. I'd love to. I was going to. I haven't got time to trace through the whole story of Aristarchus. First time he met Paul, he got beaten up for it. I think at that point, I would go, thanks, Paul. It's been really nice to meet you. Perhaps I'll see you around. And yet, Aristarchus stays with Paul and Luke. So there was a time, right, when, Luke, when, when Paul was in this great shipwreck. Uh, it was a big storm. He was being taken off to Rome as a prisoner. There was this huge shipwreck, and the ship sank. The interesting thing is that in the account in Acts 27, all the way through it says this. It doesn't say Paul set off, you know, Paul and the crew set off. All the way through it says we set off. We ran aground. We were going to sink. We cried out. Why? Because who wrote Acts? Luke did. Luke was there. Okay, Paul gets all the kind of like 
the, the, the spotlight's all on Paul. It's all on Paul. But Luke is just faithfully there. He's with Paul all the time. And one, and honestly, of all the preparation I've done, this, this is the thing that I, I just think is so beautiful. Can you um, just go to, this, I promise this is the last time, just go to 2 Timothy 4 for one last time. There are five words which I think are spectacular. Look at verse 11. This is right near the end of Paul's life. Paul is very, very close to death. He's in prison. Look what he says. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke. Do you see? There were lots of people who came, lots of people who were along with Paul. Luke was the one who stayed right to the only Luke's there. Don't you think Luke is an extraordinary guy? What an extraordinary man. After all the suffering, after everything, this doctor, this, this guy who could have had a, so much, instead he said, I'm going to stay with Paul. That's gospel love. Intense loyalty that goes right to the end. Not a one-hit wonder. Not a little, oh yeah, I'll do it for a little bit. But someone who just keeps going. Only Luke is with me. And I want to challenge us. Are we going to be people who are there with Jesus right to the end? Are we people who are going to stay loyal? You may not have the spotlight on you. You may not be that impressive. I remember being in a prayer meeting. I listened to this really old guy pray. I didn't know who he was. I was a young, I was about in my 20s. I thought I was the next great thing as a preacher. I thought, this is, this is terrific. Look at me. I'm going to be as brilliant. I'm going to lead this brilliant church. And uh, that's not a good thing, by the way. That was, that was sinful. And uh, this guy was praying next to me. And he just prayed, um, Father, thank you for helping me to be faithful. And he'd been pastor of a church in the middle of nowhere. I'd never, ever heard of him. He had a small little congregation, and he just kept preaching Jesus to the end. And I was so humbled. I just thought, what an arrogant idiot I am. God isn't impressed by our flashy woohoo. God is impressed by people who just keep going. Luke, that's gospel love. Who just keep going with people. And they keep disappointing you, but you just keep going. You just stick at it. Husbands who stick at loving their wife, you just keep going. Parents who keep loving their kids. When it's hard, you just keep going. That's that's gospel love. You just keep going. Friends who stand firm, who are loyal. Wow, what a church that would be. Who cares how flashy the preaching is? Loyalty, genuine gospel loyalty. That would be extraordinary. So I think these names at the end of Philemon, they, they picture for us what gospel love might look like in practice. Epaphras, the man who prayed. Mark, the man who was restored. Demas, the one who rejected. Luke, the one who remained. And Aristarchus, he remained too. Just not quite as long. And I wonder this afternoon, which of those four do you most identify with? Which of those four do you want to go into this week saying, Lord, please make me like that? Oh, by the way, not D, don't choose Demas. <laughs> please make me not like that. Why don't we pray together and let's ask God that gospel love would grip our hearts and that we would be people who remain.
Just take a moment in the quietness. Why don't you to say something to God? Uh, say something in response to what we've heard. Ask him to help you to change in some way. And then I'll lead us in prayer and we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you this afternoon that you are not like Mr. Darcy. Thank you that your good opinion once lost is not lost forever. That our past failure can be restored and forgiven. That we can become useful to you again. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us to experience this gospel love increasingly in our lives and then to show it in the way that we pray for each other, in the way that we restore one another, in the way that we love Jesus more than we love the world, and in the way that we remain loyal. Father, please teach us, we pray, to be a church full of gospel love, we ask. For love's sake, we ask it. Amen.